Hello and welcome to Simply Balanced, the podcast where we dive into, well, all things balanced. I'm your host, Taylor Grosso, a registered dietitian with a passion to helping you find your unique balance girl aesthetic in this often hectic world. Each episode will explore different facets of living a balanced life, whether it's unraveling the latest nutrition trends, discovering mindful eating strategies, or discussing tips for a balanced lifestyle that fits your routine. Balance isn't about perfection, it's about making choices that feel right for you, nurturing your body and mind and enjoying life's simple pleasures. So whether you're sipping your morning coffee, heading out for a walk, or winding down for the evening, I'm thrilled to have you join me. So let's dive in and talk, well, all things balance. Hello besties and welcome back to the Simply Balanced podcast. I am so happy that you guys are here and I just want to say thank you for listening every single week. I am blown away by the feedback that I've received on this podcast already and it's truly one of the favorite parts that I have of my job as of the new year and I'm so excited that this is something that I get to do on a weekly basis now because it's just so much fun. I absolutely love doing it. But last week we broke down metabolism, caloric deficit, and now hopefully if you've listened to that episode, you understand how your body actually utilizes energy a little bit better. I wanted to do that episode before we dove into any sort of diet trend because I think it's really important to actually understand like the physiology behind your body. So one of the biggest requests that I have gotten since starting this podcast is nutrition myth busting and breaking down different diets. So that is exactly what we're going to do today. I'm going to talk about three of the biggest ones that I see in the media all the time and have also been requested by all of you guys. So intermittent fasting, seed oils, and carbohydrates. Let's dive in. All right, so we're going to start off by talking about intermittent fasting. This is something that has been presented in media and also one that I've heard from a lot of the women that I work with in my one-on-one coaching and group coaching program for things like PCOS and insulin resistance. It's one of the first things that is recommended, which I find to be very funny because there is not a lot of data or evidence to support its benefit specifically for women. Now, I do want to say that I'm going to be very objective about all of the things that I talk about. So if there is any form of potential benefit based in scientific evidence, I will happily share that. But I also want to share the truth behind all of these things because Another unfortunate thing that I don't think a lot of people know, there's not a lot of research done on anything women-based. Like I, if you go back and you look at a lot of scientific studies, women are not the test subjects most of the time. And the reason for that is because of our hormone fluctuations, it fucks with their data. So they don't want to use women because they want to prove a point. Men are on a 24-hour cycle. Women are on a 28-day cycle. Our hormones are going to be more heavily impacted by a lot of these things that I talk about than a male's are. And I'm also going to talk about my birth control journey and cycle syncing in a few episodes from now. So we'll get more into that later on. But I just want to give that preface that I am going to be very objective here. And we're not just going to talk like the misconceptions. We will talk all of the dang things. So intermittent fasting, it's probably something that you've heard of. It's also referred to IF and it comes in various different forms. I was researching for this episode. I actually didn't realize like how many forms of intermittent fasting they are. And some of them are absolutely terrifying as a registered dietitian. So basically IF involves alternating cycles of eating and going without food or fasting. And there are different types of cycles that can alter the amount of calories that you have or the amount of hours that you are essentially allowed to eat. For example, 16-8 is one of the most common ones that you hear about. So 16 hours of fasting, eight hours of an eating window. A lot of people will eat from like 12 to 8. So a lot of people will be skipping breakfast, having coffee on an empty stomach. During that fasting period, you are allowed to have water and you are allowed to have coffee. And I believe you're allowed to have tea. 
but you are not allowed to have any sort of nutrients or food. There's also another form. This one was the one that actually really terrified me is a five and two. Five days you eat as usual and two days out of the week you only eat 500 calories. And I'm like, that's the most disordered thing I have ever heard in my life. Basically like the cheat day mentality, right? Like if you do those two days of being super freaking restrictive, you can essentially eat whatever you want the other of couple days not emphasizing nutrient density. Also, that's got to whack out your metabolism, but we'll get into all of that. So the IF proposed benefits are weight loss, help with insulin resistance, improved metabolism, and also an improvement in longevity. Now, I did a lot of research before this episode on IF to see if there was anything backing all of this information. There is some research and study that show that IF can lead to short-term weight loss. Note I said short-term weight loss. Just like we talked about last week, pretty much any diet that you are going to do, depending on how you define the success of a diet, if you define success by you lost weight doing it, then maybe IF would be considered successful for you. In my mind, if it's short-term weight loss that leads to you regaining the weight afterwards and having a more negative relationship with your body and food, to me, that is not successful. And I think that's what a lot of these diets end up doing. And also, so that short-term weight loss, there's also some improvements in metabolic markers like insulin sensitivity and blood lipid profiles. What I want to say here, a lot of these studies, by the way, I'm going to link all of the studies that I used in this episode in the show notes. So if you want to read any of these and you're a science nerd, you're more than welcome to do so. A lot of these scientific studies are focused on men and the impact that intermittent fasting has on men, specifically their weight loss, improvements in metabolic markers, and insulin sensitivity, blood lipid profiles. And so what we also can see from a lot of these studies is that what it really boils down to, and this is what I wanted to talk about in the first episode where I talked about caloric deficit and how the body actually adapts to that, because the reality is 99% of diets are simply putting you into a caloric deficit. For example, with intermittent fasting, it shortens the window that you're allowed to eat. So the concept behind that is if you don't have as many hours in the day where you're allowed, quote unquote, food, then you're probably going to end up eating less or you're going to end up feeling extremely restricted and binging outside of your fasting hours and or in your eating window hours where you might actually end up eating more during that eating window than you would have if you would have allowed yourself to eat through the course of the day. And many, many, many of the research studies that I looked at, many of the articles that I looked at, the same theme was across the board. IF seems to be about as beneficial as any other diet that reduces overall caloric intake. And once again, when we're talking about the benefit or the beneficial component of that sentence, we're saying as in short-term weight loss. So IF can be beneficial because if you throw yourself into a caloric deficit, you likely are going to get some short-term weight loss results. Now, another thing when it comes to IF that I want to talk about. So those are kind of some of the benefits that may come along with intermittent fasting if that is something that you choose to do. But now I want to talk about intermittent fasting specifically for women. So like I said, there are some intermittent fasting periods that require long fasting. So that 16 to 8, for example, there's ones that are even shorter than that, where you have even less of an eating window. And typically, these IF protocols can lead to that metabolic adaptation that we talked about last week. Because remember how I talked about when you are in a severe caloric deficit or on a restrictive diet, your metabolism, 
the greatest contributor to your total daily energy expenditure, so basically the thing that helps you burn the most calories in a day, is actually going to slow down and decrease the amount of calories that you are naturally burning throughout the course of a day because it has to conserve and allocate energy for things like your heart beating, circulation. Those things are kind of important in order for you to survive. So that is what it is going to allocate energy for. And it is going to keep that energy for those specific things. And your metabolism is going to have to downregulate and slow down to learn how to function and do those specific physiological functions at a much lower caloric standpoint. So diets like intermittent fasting can lead to metabolic adaptation. A lot of the times too, what we'll see specifically with women is that when you are doing things like IF or any other sort of diet, you're going in and out of phases with it, correct? Like it's really hard to do a lot of these diets for a sustained long period of time because they are so restrictive. Those constant yo-yos of being in and out of restrictive periods are going to whack out your metabolism because now you've down-regulated your metabolism and then when you resume normal eating patterns or go back to what you were eating before you were on the diet, you're now burning less calories at rest. That's why you're going to regain weight more quickly after a restrictive diet. Once again, we know that I do not give a shit about weight loss or weight gain. But I want you to understand why you're experiencing those constant fluctuations in weight because I hear it from women who have worked with me all the time. I've done everything. I've done Weight Watchers. I've done intermittent fasting. I've done tracking calories. I've done tracking macros. And every single time, I end up regaining the weight afterwards. The reason for that yo-yoing is because of this metabolic adaptation. And so that is why with intuitive eating, we talk a lot about weight stability because you're not going through those constant ups and downs in your metabolism and constant ups and downs in your consumption. So your body is able to exist in more of a homeostatic place, which basically just means like equilibrium, happy place, where then it can proper properly function. Another thing about intermittent fasting, specifically for women who are at reproductive age. So that means if you have an active menstrual cycle, intermittent fasting may also disrupt metabolic hormones like insulin, cortisol, thyroid hormones, because fasting can have implications on hormonal balance and your overall metabolic function. So something that we have to think about as menstruating women, like I said, males have a 24-hour cycle. That means they just have a little blip ups and downs of their testosterone throughout the course of 24 hours. Our hormones, estrogen and progesterone, with a slew of other ones that I won't dive into on this specific episode, are going to be fluctuating up and down throughout the course of the month. Now, we are more heavily impacted by things like fasting because of our biochemical process and the fact that we have those common hormonal fluctuations. Not to mention that we know restrictive diets can have a negative impact on the sex hormones, estrogen, and progesterone. It can actually downregulate these and decrease your chances for menstruating or stop menstruating altogether, which can also lead to things like infertility. So what we want to be very careful of is, is this restrictive diet going to actually help or benefit me? specifically when it comes to metabolism and hormones, because I feel like that's also what you always hear women talking about, right? Like women want to improve their hormones. We want hormone balance. We want to improve our metabolism. Those things come from not doing restrictive diets. 
Another thing when it comes to hormones, we talked a little bit about this last week in terms of a restrictive diet, but fasting can actually lead to alterations in the hormones leptin and ghrelin. If you remember last week, that's your satisfaction and your hunger hormone. Ghrelin is your hunger hormone. It sounds like ghrelin, your stomach's ghrelin. Leptin is your satisfaction hormone. When we don't have regulation with this hunger and satiety signals and these hormonal changes start to affect us, it can actually contribute to disordered eating patterns or binge eating behaviors. Because if we have down-regulated leptin, right, so down-regulated satisfaction and fullness hormone, it's going to be really hard for you to evaluate when you're full. And so when you actually give yourself the permission, like let's say on weekends or on vacation or during your eating window even, it's going to be really hard to feel that fullness and satisfaction until you get to the point of being uncomfortable. Now, when you're actually tuning in to those hunger and fullness cues, you're more able to assess, am I hungry? Am I full? And when you start to get to that fullness point, you're able to stop and recognize like, oh, actually, I'm getting to the point where I'm full. And because I have access to this food anytime I want, I can, you know, take a little step back and be like, okay, everything's all good. We'll have this later. I can take some leftovers if you're out to eat, you know, whatever it is. So that's another thing where IF or these restrictive diet patterns can have a negative impact on understanding those hunger and fullness cues. This is something that I hear from women all the time when they first start working with me where they're like, I just simply never feel hungry and I never feel full. And when they start to feel hunger for the first time, they get really scared. They're like, I haven't been hungry in years. Like this, this is kind of scary. I don't know how to handle it. And a lot of the times you start to feel ravenous in the beginning. That's not something that's scary. That is a sign and signal that your metabolism is picking up and functioning properly. You're getting better regulation of your hunger and fullness hormones, ghrelin and leptin. Hunger should not be something that is scary. Hunger is something that means that your body is functioning the way that it wants to. And now we have to dive into intermittent fasting and cortisol levels. So you hear the term cortisol thrown around on social media a lot, right? Cortisol is the stress hormone. A lot of people throw it around, but nobody really tells you about it. Now, I wanna mention that females are going to have more significant impacts on their cortisol. Like different things in life are going to impact our cortisol levels more significantly than males. Cortisol is not always bad. I think that when we hear cortisol on social media, a lot of the times it's in a negative connotation, right? Like, oh, this is increasing your cortisol levels, your stress hormone, that's really bad for you. The reality is, is that cortisol can be beneficial when it's not chronic. Because when we're increasing our cortisol levels through things like exercise, for example, that's increasing your body's stress adaptation and also increasing your resilience to stress. That's something that we wanna do. What we don't wanna do is keep that cortisol level at a high throughout the course of the entire day. We want peaks and falls in that cortisol level because that's our body adapting to stress, which is a good thing in the short term. But for menstruating women, what we need to recognize is when you are menstruating, your hormonal, <laughs> hormonal needs fluctuate throughout the course of the month. And consistent fasting, consistent fasting 
may complicate that stress response. So what can happen to us because we have that 28 day cycle, our cortisol is going to ebb and flow throughout the course of the month and even throughout the course of the day. And because we have different hormonal changes than males, specifically with cortisol, our body might perceive stress as something that's greater than a typical male. This could potentially lead to higher cortisol levels, which could be associated with negative effects like a disrupted menstrual cycle, we talked a little bit about that, or even disrupted thyroid hormone production, which impacts our overall metabolism. Your thyroid controls a ton of hormones, a ton of metabolism. So we wanna make sure that that is in good health. And when it comes to thinking about elevated cortisol, what we also know is linked to chronic elevated cortisol is weight gain, high blood sugar, and muscle weakness. So what we're trying to avoid is those constant elevations in cortisol. You know what's going to chronically elevate those? Under eating and over exercising. Two things that we are often doing when it comes to restrictive dieting. So like I said, when it comes to intermittent fasting, what we know about it is there, there is proposed benefits when it comes to short-term weight loss, insulin resistance, and also longevity. However, when we actually break down the science, specifically for a menstruating woman, it's going to probably have more of a negative impact on a lot of different hormones within the female body and likely is not going to create an environment where you have a very positive relationship with food depending on the way in which your intermittent fasting and what your relationship with food already currently looks like. Basically, intermittent fasting is just a fancy way of saying caloric restriction. And what we know, caloric restriction leads to short-term weight loss. It does not lead to long-term sustainability. And now we're switching gears to carbohydrates. Are they your friend or your foe? Because the internet would lead you to believe that they are most definitely your worst enemy, but I am here to tell you that they're actually your brain and your body's best friend. I love breaking down the science behind carbohydrates because information on the internet is so misconstrued when it comes to carbohydrates. And I think a lot of the times what people don't understand is there are different types of carbohydrates that impact your blood sugar in different ways. But when it comes to a carbohydrate in general, all of them, all of them, a cookie, an apple, a piece of candy, it does not matter what type of carbohydrate it is, it is going to break down into glucose in its simplest form. Now, the reason that carbohydrates have a different impact on your blood sugar levels, so hold on, let me back up a second and explain blood sugar levels for you. So we eat a carbohydrate source, right? An apple, a cookie, a piece of candy, whatever it is. That is going to break down into something called glucose, which is sugar. Sugar is then going to enter your bloodstream. Your body digests and uses glucose or sugar. You can't hear me snapping, but it uses it super freaking fast, okay? So this sugar is gonna go into your bloodstream. Your pancreas is going to release something called insulin. Insulin is then gonna go grab all of the glucose and it's gonna transport it to all of the different cells that need it. Your brain alone, your brain alone, needs 130 grams of carbohydrates in a day. You are tracking your macros and your macros, your carbohydrates are less than 130 grams and you're exercising, my goodness, girly, you need more carbohydrates. Please, please eat more. Please reach out to me if that is something that you are currently doing because we need to have a little chit chat. 
So your brain alone uses 130 grams of carbohydrates. The other carbohydrates are either going to be stored in the liver or muscle for later use, or it's going to be used right away as ATP. Basically, when it's stored in your liver or your muscle tissue, it's converted to something called glycogen. Glycogen can then later be broken down into that ATP, which then is released as energy. And so, like I said, it's your brain and your body's main source of fuel. It's your preferred energy source. And especially when it comes to like, you think about a mid-afternoon crash, right? Like where you have no energy whatsoever and you've got all of this brain fog. A lot of the times you need more energy from carbohydrates because a calorie, a unit of energy, that's what a calorie is scientifically, is what actually gives your body energy, not caffeine, not an energy drink. A lot of the times you need another piece of food, specifically a carbohydrate, paired with protein, fat, and or fiber. Now let's break that down because like I said, there are different types of carbohydrates and they have different impacts on blood sugar. So carbohydrates are typically separated into two different groups, simple and complex. Simple carbohydrates are ones that your body is going to break down and utilize super fast. It's really, really easy for your body to break them down. And a lot of the times, more simple carbohydrates don't have as much nutrient density. Now there are simple carbohydrates, things like dried fruit that are going to still be like something that your body uses super quickly and still provides you with some additional nutrient benefit. But a lot of the times when we think about simple carbohydrates, we think about things with refined sugar. So things like candy, donuts, cakes, cookies, those things are not bad. I want to emphasize that, right? There is no moral value tied to food. There is no good or bad food. When it comes to, or like white products, so like white bread, white rice, those types of things are more simple carbohydrates. Not bad, less nutrient dense. And so when it comes to these types of carbohydrates, because your body can use them really fast, it's going to cause your blood sugar to go up really high and then likely fall really fast because it's going to get into your bloodstream really quick, your body is gonna use it super quick. So the likelihood of when you eat a simple carbohydrate in isolation, that you get hungry really fast, tired, feel a pretty big energy crash, that's totally normal because that's your blood sugar going up and then going down. You hear about sugar rush with kids, right? That same thing can happen to us as adults. We oftentimes just don't think about it in that way because we're usually not like shoveling the candy in the way a child might. And now a complex carbohydrate is going to be things like whole grains, fruits and vegetables, legumes, beans, those types of things that are going to contain other nutrient density or other nutrient value like fiber or protein. Because a carbohydrate, when eaten in isolation, your body's gonna use it super fast, that blood sugar is gonna go up and then it's gonna go down. However, when you pair a carbohydrate or eat a carbohydrate that has these things in it, protein, fat, and or fiber, because those things are more slow to digest in the body, it's going to slow down the release of that carbohydrate or sugar into your bloodstream. So it is going to have less of an impact on your blood sugar, where you're gonna get more of a steady rise. Because I wanna make that very clear, I feel like the internet makes it seem like you shouldn't have a blood sugar spike at all. That's absolutely not true. We don't want a significant spike in a fast fall. We want a steady rise in blood sugar that stays a little high for a period of time and then slowly starts to drop off. Because when that happens, that means that you're actually going to stay full and satisfied, whether it's a meal or a snack, because your body has the nutrients that it needs and it can slowly utilize that carbohydrate 
versus quickly using it and then it falls really fast where then you, like I said, you feel lethargic, you don't feel energized, you feel brain foggy, and typically you end up reaching for more of those carbohydrate-based foods without adding in that protein, fat, and or fiber. So that's what really makes the difference is that there's, like I said, no good or bad carbohydrates. It's more so what is the carbohydrate packaged with? Because when we have those foods that are more whole foods or complex foods, we've got the fiber and we've got the protein, and then pairing those with even more protein, fat, and or fiber is going to really benefit your overall blood sugar levels and also digestion, all of those different types of things. Now, this is not to say that the simple carbohydrates, like I said, are bad for you. It's just that we want to focus on balancing those and then also pairing them potentially with a protein, fat, and or fiber to help balance them out a little bit and decrease the impacts on our blood sugar levels. Is that going to happen every single time that you eat a cookie, every single time that you eat ice cream, every single time that you have a pastry? No, it's not going to happen every single time. If you can aim to do that 80-ish percent of the time, you're doing a pretty damn good job. Now, another component of carbohydrates that I feel like people don't talk about enough, which I just posted a video on this this morning, which this will obviously air after this video, but people are so, so concerned about all of these different ingredients that potentially cause colon cancer, yet only 5% of Americans get the recommended daily amount of fiber. We are not talking about that enough. So instead of adding more fiber, more fruits and vegetables, more whole grains into our diet, we're focusing on cutting out coffee creamer because it contains carrageenan. Carrageenan is a perfectly safe ingredient that's been approved by the FDA. It's an extraction of seaweed. Polygenin, which has been used in rats to increase inflammatory markers, yes, that can cause colon cancer in a rat. Remember, you are not a rat, you are a human. That tablespoon or two tablespoons of coffee creamer, it's not gonna give you colon cancer. But cutting out carbohydrates and not getting enough fiber, that could potentially lead to colon cancer down the line. So we're not talking enough about the things that we should be adding into our diet. We're so focused on all of the things that we should be restricting or things that are toxic or things that the internet deems poisonous. Now, back to my original, original idea here is the fact that carbohydrates are a fantastic source of fiber. Fiber is a prebiotic. Prebiotics feed the beneficial probiotics or the bacteria that live in your gut microbiome. Now, I wanna say that we have scratched the surface when it comes to the gut microbiome. Like there is so much that we don't know, but what we do know is that eating a good amount of fiber and specifically getting a variety of carbohydrate sources and fruits and vegetables can help to improve the amount of beneficial bacteria that live in your gut. Not to mention that that fiber can also help with things like constipation. It can help with a variety of different things in terms of your overall gut health and gut microbiome. Now, I wanna preface this by saying, if you listen to this podcast and you're like, oh shit, I'm one of those 5%, I need to increase my fiber immediately. Do not go from zero to 100. Your body is going to take time to adapt to fiber. Fiber is a finicky little guy. You cannot just go from eating zero to eating 25 grams of fiber. You will be on the toilet all day or you won't be on the toilet ever because fiber can cause diarrhea, it can cause constipation, cause a lot of different things depending on what types of fiber you are eating. My recommendation with fiber, go low and slow. Start off small, slowly introduce it in your diet. I will also say, 
I have a lot of questions on fiber supplements and adding those things into your diet. I am always a food first dietitian, never a supplement first dietitian. Supplements are meant to supplement your overall diet that you get from whole foods. So focus on getting in whole food fiber sources first, things like whole grains, beans, legumes, vegetables, fruit, like berries. Berries have six grams of dietary fiber per half cup. That is a fantastic source of fiber and such an easy thing. Toss it in a smoothie, toss it on your yogurt bowl, add it to your pancakes, add it to your waffles. There's so many different ways that you can add in things like that. Avocado, do you know how much fiber is in avocados? I can't think of it off the top of my, I believe it's like eight grams of dietary fiber per serving. Popcorn, three cups of popcorn, gonna get you four grams of dietary fiber. Pecans, four grams of dietary fiber per serving. Also a bonus of omega-3 fatty acids when it comes to pecans. We just talked about that with seed oils, right? So. Or no, we haven't gotten to seed oils. Ooh, okay, we'll get there soon. Sorry, <laughs> I got a little bit ahead of myself. I was doing research before this, so that's where my mind was at. But all of this to say that instead of focusing on eliminating carbohydrates or eliminating all of these different foods or deeming them bad, focusing on increasing your fiber, your vegetable consumption, your whole grain consumption, that is going to benefit a balanced diet. It's going to benefit satiety. It's going to benefit your sustained energy levels. It's going to benefit your blood sugar. It's going to do amazing things for your body. And not to mention, if you're a girly focused on your gut health in 2024, best thing you can do is add some more fiber. Best thing you can do. And then last but not least, when it comes to carbohydrates and weight gain, because everybody automatically jumps to carbs make you gain weight. Carbs make you gain weight. Okay, first of all, the biggest misconception, or well, a couple things that we need to break down. Carbs hold on to water. So if you eat more carbohydrates than what you normally eat, the likelihood that yes, you are going to, if you weigh yourself, which if you do that and you're listening to this podcast, this is my gentle PSA to throw that thing out because it's not doing anything beneficial for you and your mental health. Okay, side note there. But carbohydrates are going to hold on to water. You go out on the weekend, let's say you consume more carbohydrates than you normally do, perfectly normal. Your body likely gonna go up on the scale because your body is now holding on to more water because of an increased carbohydrate intake, okay? So that's number one with people correlating carbohydrates to weight gain, it's water. It's gonna come off real quick. Don't be concerned about that. The second thing, I think a lot of people correlate carbohydrates to weight gain and caloric intake because there are a lot of carbohydrate-based foods, cakes, pastries, cookies, candy, that obviously it's really easy to eat in excess, right? Because you can eat a small amount for a lot of carbs and a lot of sugar. But a lot of the times, the reason that we end up over-consuming or overeating carbohydrates is because we're restricting them and because we're not focusing on satisfaction because we're not focusing on balancing our meals, because we are so focused on eating the least amount of calories possible, we're eliminating carbohydrates. And then that moment that we actually give ourselves the permission to eat them, our hunger hormones and our fullness hormones are also down-regulated because of the restrictive dieting. We can't tell when we're full. And now we end up over-consuming them and specifically the ones that don't provide us with as much nutrient density. So instead of focusing on all of those things, Focusing on, once again, increasing whole grains, fruits and vegetables, nuts and legumes, or not nuts and legumes, legumes and beans. Increasing these carbohydrates that provide you with more satisfaction and more benefit while eating the carbohydrates that are delicious and yummy in moderation and pairing them 
with fat, protein, and or fiber and or eating them after a balanced meal is going to help you actually eat a portion of them that satisfies you versus eating them to the point that they don't make you feel good and they make you feel sick. It's not the carbohydrate that's the problem. It's our relationship with the carbohydrates that is the problem. So bettering that relationship with carbohydrates and actually understanding how your body utilizes them and how they can fuel you, I think is super freaking important. So key takeaways here, carbohydrates, brain and body's main source of energy. All carbohydrates break down into sugar, all of them, does not matter. What matters is the package that they come in. Things that are more complex carbohydrates are likely going to provide more fiber and protein, going to digest them a little bit more slowly. You can also pair more simple carbohydrates or complex carbohydrates with protein, fat, and or fiber to slow down that release of blood sugar. Carbs are not causing you to gain weight. They hold a little bit more water and anything, anything, I will continue to emphasize that, eaten in excess can lead to weight gain over time, can lead to potential negative benefits over time. So water, there's literally water intoxication, okay you guys? Anything in excess is not necessarily beneficial for our bodies. That's what we have to remember when it comes to all of these different things and understanding how to actually utilize carbs in a very satisfying and balancing way so that you get to eat what you want and add what you need is going to be the most beneficial. Oh, the other key takeaway, fiber baby. It is the year of fiber in 2024. If you want to improve your gut health, if you want to lower your cholesterol, if you want to feel more satisfied and energized, add in some more fiber to your diet. Okay, and then last but not least, we've got to talk about the truth behind seed oils, the toxic, poisonous, scary seed oils. I'm just kidding. They're none of those things. We're going to talk a little bit about why the internet seems to deem them as those things though. So seed oils are also known as omega-6 fatty acids. And so when we take a look at the Western diet, right? So the diet that most of us as Americans consume, we are getting a higher ratio of omega-6 fatty acids as comparative to omega-3 fatty acids. What we know about omega-3 fatty acids is that they may help to reduce inflammation within the body and are very beneficial to our overall health. They can help to decrease cholesterol. They may help to improve HDL, which is your beneficial cholesterol. So if you get a lipid profile done, you have your LDL, which I don't like using this terminology, but I don't know how else to describe it. But that's known as kind of your bad cholesterol. Having L too high of LDL could increase your risk for cardiovascular disease. We want to have a lower total cholesterol, lower LDL, and a higher HDL, which is the protective cholesterol against heart disease. But when we actually look at the data behind seed oils and their inflammatory effects, there is no evidence to support that seed oils are toxic. Now, when we talk about the health issues that are often associated with seed oil consumption, there's something that we have to remember because Seed oils are oftentimes found in more ultra-processed foods. Notice, I said ultra-processed. There is a difference between a processed food and an ultra-processed food. There are plenty of processed foods, think of like a rice packet, a can of beans, frozen fruits and vegetables, that provide your body with a copious amount of nutrient density. Now, when it comes to ultra-processed foods, so think of like a Little Debbie, for example, as a typical ultra-processed food. Do we want to eat those things all the time? Not necessarily, but can we have them every now and then in moderation? 
Absolutely. And the reason for that is not because they're bad for us, is not because there's any morally anything morally wrong with them. It's that they don't provide us with a lot of nutrient density. And the likelihood is if you eat Little Debbie's for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every single day, you're probably not going to feel very good. Like it's not really going to provide your body with what it needs. But can you have them every now and then because they taste good and because you like them? Absolutely. But when we talk about these more ultra processed foods, a lot of the times they contain things like extra added sugar, sodium, and saturated fat. Now, what we know about all of these things is once again, when eaten in excess, they may cause negative effects on the body when it comes to inflammation. Once again, anything in excess is not necessarily beneficial to the body. You can be intoxicated from water, one of the most beneficial things for your body. So I don't want my words to get misconstrued here. I'm just reading science. And when it comes to these specific things, I think seed oils get the bad rep because we have shirtless men walking around the grocery stores screaming about the fact that they are toxic and they are poisonous. But then, but then, they turn around and promote things like organic wine. Do you know what the only two foods that we have scientific evidence cause inflammation in the body? Alcohol and processed meats. That's it. So if there is a person on your screen running around saying that anything is poisonous or toxic or inflammatory, yet they're promoting something like wine, I would really like you to just, you know, take that with a grain of salt and consider, you know, a little unfollow button would be a great option there. Not to mention that when we talk about seed oils, I think another thing that a lot of people say it's, oh, it's the processing of seed oils. But what, is that, what does that mean exactly, right? Like what is the processing of seed oils? And I think what a lot of people get misconstrued, when you're cooking with seed oils at home, that's fine. There is no concern associated with cooking with food or with cooking with oils that contain omega-6 fatty acids at home. What we actually know about omega-6 fatty acids is that they can actually help to lower cholesterol and blood sugar and even reduce your risk for heart disease. So there are plenty of benefits to omega-6 fatty acids when eaten in the right amounts and the right consumption. Also, things like nuts and seeds, we've already talked about this a lot, but vegetable oils, whole grains, poultry, and eggs, a lot of those also contain seed oils. All of those foods, have you ever heard anyone say nuts and seeds, whole grains, poultry, or eggs are bad for you? I mean, if you have, I, I, I shouldn't even say that. Yeah, of course you have because the internet's a scary, scary, scary place. Those foods have so much nutrient density. Nuts and seeds, we have the healthy fats in there. Those are going to increase so much satisfaction. We already talked about the dietary fiber in nuts and seeds. Whole grains, we've got more fiber in there. We've got protein. We've got B vitamins. So many beneficial nutrients in whole grains. Poultry, protein, baby. We got so much protein in poultry. Eggs, choline in the egg yolk, vitamin B12. We also have plenty of protein in the eggs as well, not to mention vitamin D. One of the very few foods that we actually can get vitamin D from because most of our vitamin D comes from the sun. So there are plenty of benefits that come with cooking with seed oils or eating foods that contain omega-6 fatty acids. Now, here's where I think the processing component of omega-6 fatty acids gets misconstrued and confused because Essentially, when you heat omega-6 fatty acids to an extremely high temperature, they can release or they oxidize essentially and then can form harmful compounds that may contribute to inflammation. But 
where we typically see this, things like fried food, right? Like you're using some sort of seed oil at an extremely high temperature to fry food. But what else do fried foods oftentimes contain? Things like refined carbohydrates, saturated fat, or those things like, um, oh my gosh, my brain is blanking for a second. I'm sorry. <laughs> but essentially, when you fry those foods and, you, and it oxidizes at that super high temperature, yes, that could potentially lead to inflammation within the body. But how many of you are deep frying French fries at home every single night for dinner, right? Like that is something that is so different than just simply cooking with a seed oil. And now I talked about this in the beginning, but a lot of the times that or a lot of like this misconception behind seed oils really has nothing to do with like seed oils themselves. It more so has to do with this ratio of omega-6 fatty acids to omega-3 fatty acids. So instead of focusing on eliminating all seed oils within your diet, eliminating all of these things, paying astronomical amounts of money for these more expensive oils, instead, what we should be focusing on, increasing our consumption of omega-3 fatty acids. Things like salmon, walnuts, those are great options. Hemp seeds, chia seeds, those are great options to include in your weekly rotation in order to increase the amount of omega-3 fatty acids that you're consuming. I will say that an omega-3 supplement is one of the few supplements that I do often recommend because once again, kind of like vitamin D, there aren't that many foods where we can get a ton of omega-3 fatty acids from. And if you are someone who's like, I absolutely will not eat any foods with omega-3 fatty acids, like I hate salmon, I don't like nuts, I don't like a lot of those seeds that you just listed, then that's where an omega-3 fatty acid supplement, I personally love the Nordic Naturals one, that's the one that Zach and I both take. We eat salmon, but I feel like because it's become so expensive, we don't buy it as much as we want. But I've also been loving walnuts lately, but I just like to get a good dose of omega-3 fatty acids in. And so that is one supplement that could potentially be beneficial. I want to say that I am not giving medical advice. And if that is something that you are considering, please reach out to a dietitian or a doctor and talk to them to figure out if that supplementation is right for you. But it is something that is available and something that is an option. So it's something that I like to talk about. But once again, this is just another component where we are demonizing a specific thing without talking about the nuances that surround it. So when it comes to these seed oils or omega-6 fatty acids, the key takeaways to this component are increasing your consumption. Once again, let's add to our diet rather than restrict or take away from it. Increasing your consumption of omega-3 fatty acid foods, things like salmon, hemp seeds, walnuts, all fantastic options, decreasing the amount of ultra-processed foods that you are eating containing omega-6 fatty acids. So that's not eliminating, cutting out, or restricting. That's simply decreasing the amount that you are eating. And that's not a bad thing because here's the other thing when it comes to like talking about these types of foods from an intuitive eating perspective. It's a matter of recognizing, do these foods make me feel good? when eating them in a large amount. Because a lot of the times what we start to recognize when it comes to intuitive eating and we're actually in tune with our body, we can have any of these foods anytime that we want. And that is okay. But we also recognize that we don't feel this like need to have them because we have a positive relationship with them. We know what portion sizes of these specific foods actually make us feel good and serve the purpose of bringing us joy and bringing us nourishment from the sense of excitement to the taste buds. 
but not necessarily bringing us a whole lot of nutrient density. And that's okay. Not every single food is meant to be nutrient dense, but it's starting to recognize what foods are actually serving a valuable purpose in my life and how do they make me feel when I consume them. So increasing those omega-3 fatty acids, decreasing some of those ultra processed foods, and then cooking with seed oils at home, focusing on omega-6 fatty acid foods that provide a bunch of other nutrient density like those nuts and seeds, the eggs, the whole grain, the poultry, all of those are fantastic ways to focus on getting in a proper amount of these healthy fats to, once again, decrease cholesterol, decrease, or no, sorry, yeah, decrease cholesterol, decrease your risk for cardiovascular disease, and even potentially improve, improve your blood sugar regulation because like I said, when carbohydrates are eaten in cohesion with a protein, fat, and or fiber, so a fat in this specific scenario, it's going to help to balance out that blood sugar level a little bit more. So I hope that this episode really helps you to understand the truth behind the trend. I think that's what I'm going to kind of call this series as I walk as I walk through like a lot of these different myth-busting things and misconceptions on the internet because a lot of the things that you see on the internet are boiled down to someone selling you something, right? Like people are creating a problem with seed oils because they have created a food or a product or a supplement that does not contain these things. And so now they're trying to sell you that by making you think that this thing is toxic or poisonous. But the reality is almost all of these myths and different things that we dive into, there are so many nuances and nutrition is so individualized to every single human being that exists. You have to remember that when it comes to nutrition and it comes to your nutrition specifically, if you eat and exercise exactly like any influencer on the internet, you are never going to look exactly like them. And the aesthetics are not the main purpose of focusing on nutrition, focusing on fitness. The purpose of focusing on these things is to have a healthy relationship with food and to also feel your best and most confident self on a daily basis. And the way in which you can do that is focusing on what foods, what types of exercise make you feel good and are sustainable for the long term. And if you feel like you have zero freaking idea of where to start with that, Send me a DM on Instagram and we can talk about different ways that I could potentially help you. I now have a group coaching program. I have my one-on-one program and I love chatting with my followers in the DMs because I know like literally when I'm scrolling on TikTok, there are times where I'm like, holy shit, if I was a consumer who did not have a degree in nutrition, understood food science, I would be so confused by all of this information that people are throwing at you where you feel like you have absolutely no idea where to even start. I totally understand, and that's what I'm here for. So reach out to me if you need me, besties. But I just want to say, once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. This is one of my favorite parts of my job. If you feel like this episode is beneficial for someone you know, please like, share, comment, send, all of the different things because that will ultimately be what helps the show to grow. I love you all, and thank you so much again for tuning in to Simply Balanced. And that brings us to the end of today's episode of Simply Balanced. Thank you so much for tuning in and sharing a part of your day with me. I hope you find inspiration in our discussion and feel more equipped to embrace the balanced girl aesthetic in your daily life. Remember, balance is a journey, not a destination. It's about finding what works for you in your unique way. As we part ways, I encourage you to reflect on one thing you learned today and how you can incorporate that into your life to create more balance. Don't forget to subscribe to Simply Balance so you never miss an episode. If you enjoyed our time together, consider leaving a review or sharing the podcast with a friend. Your 
support means the world. And until next time, keep striving for balance, nourish your body and mind, and remember to cherish life's simple pleasures. This is Taylor Grasso signing off. Stay balanced and see you next episode.